I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name's Alex Gruskin. None of us could have predicted that the 2020 NCAA season was going to end due to a global pandemic. And of course, while canceling the decision was the right one in terms of ensuring that the players, the schools, the coaches, everyone involved in college tennis can get through this coronavirus pandemic safely and healthily. As a college tennis fan, it was very disappointing because we were in the midst of such a fun season on the men's side. There was just so much parity. It really did feel like seven, eight, nine, maybe even 10 teams teams could compete and on their best day win a national championship. On the women's side, we had a couple of spectacular teams, the ones that stood out. The UNC women, who were undefeated, had run the table at the national indoors, had survived going to Florida State, another top five team, beat them 4-3. They were in the midst of a special season, and of course, UCLA was a young, up-and-coming, talented team, and you know there were just Stanford, of course, you never count them out in May. There were so many fun stories. Line, so many great individual athletic performances that deserve to be honored. And thankfully, the NCAA, the ITA, made the decision to do just that. They named All-Americans this past week for the men's and women's D1, D2, D3, NAIA, honoring those sorts of athletes who had standout seasons. And yes, we only got half of the season, but there was enough of the season to say, hey, these players stood out for their excellence. These players really helped write the script of the 2020 season and ultimately in naming all Americans that's what you want to do right you want to tell the story of which athletes defined this season in college tennis and so obviously we want to talk about that decision and we also want to put a bow on the 2020 season so Matt Stachowiak Chris Hallioris and myself came together on today's podcast to do just that we talk about the all Americans we talk about uh, maybe the guys we felt deserved the honors that didn't receive them talk about the decision to go with 20 singles players 10 10 doubles teams, how we might have adjusted that. But obviously, we ultimately support the ITA in doing this. And if anything, we just want to add to the loves. We talk about those decisions. We name our top five teams. We also have a little fun on this podcast, have a fun exercise where Chris, Matt, and I name our ideal starting lineups from the 2020 seasons, meaning we name our one through six singles position starters, our one through three doubles teams to have qualified for the spot. You had to have played that position for your team for the majority of the season. Of course, all three of us end up cheating, and that leads to some fun discussions that you're about to hear. But it's a fascinating conversation of really where college tennis was at during the 2020 season and maybe a sneak preview of what we can expect uh, heading into the 2021 season. The reason I say that, the NCAA and ITA are obviously making that decision to afford spring uh, athletes that extra year of eligibility. So if you are senior and your school can bring you back, you can come back and play in a 
additional season. And we talk about that. We talk about the coronavirus pandemic's effect on college athletics, on college tennis in particular. We also talk about Tim Russell's response to athletic director U to the idea that tennis is one of the programs on the chopping block. I highly recommend that you partner this podcast like a steak and a fine wine. This podcast and the mini break with Tim Russell where he talks about the state of college tennis. Tim Russell, of course, the Intercollegiate Tennis Association CEO. No one more plugged into the future of college tennis than Tim. I think you know that podcast as well as our podcast talking about those thoughts and then having some fun putting a bow on the 2020 season. We end by naming our top five teams of the year. It's a fascinating conversation that I think you all will enjoy, but before we can get to that, I have to let you all know that these Great Shot podcasts are made possible by our friends at DraftKings. And as we repeatedly mention on our Cracked Rackets podcast, Tennis is maybe the only sport that sees action 24-7, 365 days a year. Now, is that the case right now? No, for obvious reasons, it's not. But we have seen tennis come back uh, in on Tennis Channel. We're seeing live exhibitions being played slowly but surely. Tennis makes its return. And from the future circuit to the Grand Slams, tournaments are constantly taking place across the globe. And fans of the game are routinely treated to spectacular play. We do our best here at Cracked Rackets to break down all of the results, analyze the game's emerging trends and offer accurate predictions of what we think will happen next. But that being said, as fun as it is to watch the sport and break down each match, we're all still tennis players at heart. And as such, we all want a piece of the action. That's why we at Cracked Rackets are thrilled to announce our new partnership with DraftKings. We know listeners of this podcast are the most informed tennis fans in the business. But what's the point of all that knowledge if you can't take advantage of it? That was me at the end of college. I had all of this, well, I won't say a wealth of tennis knowledge, but I talked about tennis a lot. And I thought, what was I going to do with it? And fortunately, I conned Westoff and Dalton. That's my own little DraftKings scheme. They made a bet on me. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but maybe that's something that you want to do. That's why we think it's time that you you bet on tennis. And thanks to our partnership with DraftKings, all new users will get a racket-cracking sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. Also, unless you want us to chirp back at you, please don't be that fan that yells on social media at a player if your bet doesn't hit. It's the equivalent of unnecessarily hooking your player. And as tennis players know, no one wants to be or associate with that person. Here's how it works. You create your DraftKings Sportsbook account and make a deposit. DraftKings will then match your first deposit at 20% up to $500. Then you're going to make your first bet, and DraftKings will also match that with a risk-free first bet up to $500. Just go to dkng.co slash cracking rackets to play. That's dkng dot co slash cracking rackets again act quickly before this offer ends gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey West Virginia or Pennsylvania or 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana or 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa only you must be 21 or older to participate and can play in New Jersey, Indiana, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and Iowa only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500, minimum $5 deposit. Deposit bonus is in DraftKings dollars, which have no cash value and must be used on DraftKings. Bonus requires 25 times play all the way through. Offer not valid for users physically located in New Hampshire. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com com slash sportsbook for details. 
All right, with that being said, here's a DraftKings for you. Listen to Chris Halioris, Matt Stokoek, and I push our luck as we put a bow on the 2020 NCAA Division I men's college tennis season right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Joining me on the podcast today to talk a little bit of college tennis. You, of course, know them from all of the college tennis coverage we do here at Crack Rackets. Let's start where we always start. He is the former four-star recruit on TennisRecruiting.net, one of your favorite writers on our website, CrackedRackets.com. And, of course, I affectionately refer to him as Matt the Cracks the Koyak. Matty, it's been far too long. Hey, great shot. How are you holding up? Holding up, man, and I, I can't believe I'm about to say this for like the second time in 2020, but it, it is good to hear your voice again. I mean, I usually, two times, it's only what, April 30th now? I mean, that's ridiculous. It's usually two per year. Um, but yeah, uh, hanging in there, man, you know, trying to keep up with everything. It's obviously, you know, everybody's got their own situation, but I'm doing well. How are I'm you doing? I'm doing well. Man? I'm holding in there. Every time we, we've done a bunch of crack interviews recently today, I was talking, I'm, that's why I'm glad we're doing college and our listeners will hear these later, but I talked to Ashley Leahy and Alexa Graham today, and it's just nice for me to get to do these conversations. I'm sure Westoff and Parker are both sick of me. So to get to talk to people outside of my house is just, it, it's a treat at this point. Right. That's yeah. right. Lucky you, man. Lucky <laughs> you. I don't get to do all these interviews, so I'm, I am I can't say I, I relate yeah, no, too much. I'm, I'm living the life. Uh, I, I feel like of people affected by quarantine, my life is affected the least because I'd have been home talking tennis anyways. But glad to hear you are staying safe and healthy. Also joining us on the line today, the third member of our college tennis, Holy Trinity, you, of course. Oh, my God. I almost didn't say the rhyme. But the forefather of the college tennis ranks formula, predictions never far from the the listed UTR and one of the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames. I almost forgot to say that because it's been that long since we've had him on the show, but Chris Alioris, Chris, hey, great shot. How are you holding up? Wow, holding up well. I mean, it's been so long since I heard that. I almost didn't realize you forgot to, to lead yeah, in with I, I almost just uh, said but, it, uh, yeah, it's, the, it's, it's, it's the college tennis ranks guy, but I was like, wait, wait, wait I'm usually more creative than that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's when you know it's been too long, man. When the when 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 the little uh, intro rhymes have just dropped off as as second nature, it's it's definitely been yeah, too absolutely. long. Absolutely, and that is why I am so glad to get to talk with both of you today. And we want to have a little bit of fun on this podcast. Obviously, uh, for you college tennis fans, by the time you listen to this, you'll be well aware that the ITA announced their Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, and I think NAIA men's and women's All Americans at this point. Uh, in today's episode in particular, we're going to be talking about the men's All-Americans, talking about the 20 singles players, the 10 doubles teams, who were the snubs, 
who might we have left off. We're also going to give our ideal lineups from the 2020 season. We went through the course of however many rosters there are in the D1 men's uh, tennis world, and we picked spots. You had to have played one singles to qualify to be picked at one singles, two singles, three singles, four, five, six, all the way through one, two, and three doubles as well. Really, the point of today's podcast is to put a bow on the 2020 season because even though we're not going to get to find out how it should have ended at the NCAA championships, there was still so much fantastic tennis for us to discuss, to analyze, and have some fun with. But before we talk about any of that, I want to talk about the news related to college tennis really quickly because, look, over the course of the past couple of weeks, we have heard so many different, so many different details have continued to emerge. I should say, continue to emerge uh, regarding the financial impact of the coronavirus and how it's going to impact all of these schools, you know, these colleges, not just uh, academically, not just financially, but you know, affect their athletics as well. And I guess I suppose a lot of those athletics, the impact is financial and. More more and more details have begun to emerge, and let's be honest, it things are looking rather grim, uh, particularly for non-revenue sports now. The, the NCAA announced that to maintain a Division One status, you are still going to have to have the 16 required sports, and that was probably a little victory for college tennis, but I haven't gotten to pick your guys' opinions, and let's start with Tim Russell's response uh, to, I think it was the athletic director, director U piece that talked about uh, why, you know, non-Olympic uh, preparation sports of the non-revenue sports should be canceled first, why a sport like tennis would be the most uh, likely to be canceled. Let's start with you, Chris. Your thought on the financial state of college tennis, what it's starting to look like, the coronavirus pandemic, how it's going to impact, I should say, the college tennis world, and then your response to that, uh, Tim Russell, uh, athletic director, you uh, exchange. Yeah, so I've got a, a couple thoughts there. My first thought is just the whole financials of, of as related to college tennis. I think tennis is going to be no different than any other sport. And until we figure out where college football goes, uh, come you know the start of the the school year. We, <clears throat> excuse me, we won't really know. That's going to play a a big part. And I've talked to a lot of coaches, uh, you know, during this time, and and everybody kind of echoes the same thing. And that, that is, we got to see what happens with college football because if there's if there's no college football, oh, it's going to be brutally ugly. If there's college football but with no fans, yeah, we, who knows? It's still not going to be great. If college football goes off well then, you know, things are looking pretty good. So I think from the fin- from the financial impact, that's the first place that we have to look is just to see where the first and biggest, you know, revenue generating sport of the year goes as, as far as college sports go. Um, the second point, as far as the Tim Russell response goes, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't overly enamored uh, in reading that response. It felt a little too much to me, you know, like, the kid protecting their playground, if you will, right? I mean, there was a lot of, which, and that's his job. He's the CEO for college tennis, right, for the ITA. But um, I think there are you know, there are better ways probably to, to make your point than to just, you know, to, to kind of play a, a turf war. Um, I, I think there were, again, I think there were just better ways to make it. I don't want to get too too detailed into picking it apart, but 
but just in general, as I read it, and I'm a co- obviously a college tennis fan, I was kind of reading it going, gosh, I wish it could have been said differently because this just sounds, you know, a little too much like, yeah, you can't kill us, but, but you know, just because. And why are you different than anybody else? Uh, that was kind of the general sense I got in, in reading through it. But, but I don't think... I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. The, the schools are going to find ways to, to keep their athletics around. I, I can't imagine, and I've been wrong many times before, but I can't imagine that we see wholesale killing of a bunch of these, a bunch of these sports. And it's, I mean, I think the fact that the NCAA came out and said, "Hey, you got to, you, you want to be D one, you got to maintain your 16 sports." I think that helps prop up uh, the, the odds that. That those you know that we stick around obviously we've seen some schools cancel a few things here or there but you had to have the room to be able to do so under the d1 guidelines so a couple of points to that and matt i promise i will loop you in momentarily but you know a and we had tim russell on to discuss his response to athletic director you and it's clearly a benefit for college tennis that we have someone at the top of the game who thinks about these issues with the sort of depth and looks into all of the various nuances uh like Tim Russell uh, to speak for college tennis. It's clear that he is going to prepare long-term. He's going to prepare short-term. He's going to try and do whatever is possible to get uh, college tennis in the healthiest place moving forward. But, you know, to your point, did I need to know the history of athletic, you know, of college athletics and what the purpose of them were initially, what the Romans were doing? No, probably not. There was one too many Latin derivatives to use his term. Uh, <laughs> You didn't want this, the Socrates Latin translation well, in there. I, I did, I mean, and it's good. It's good to know he's <laughs> providing that sort of context. But you know, I have a I have an editor in Daniel Westhoff who's smiling at me. Who, when this pod goes an hour and a half, he's going to ask, "You really couldn't have made it forty five minutes?" And you know, there is something to that point. Uh, it it you know, it was just all encompassing because it's so clear that he cares so deeply. But you know, to that point, and. Uh, I, I don't mean this as a bad thing, but, you know, to your point about no football, no basketball, if those sorts of things continue on over the next six to eight months, do I think women's tennis could still be in a place where it could come back? Yes, because Title IX ensures that for every scholarship dollar spent on the men, you spend one on the women as well. And college tennis, uh, women's college tennis in particular, loses less money as a non-revenue sport than other women's sports. But you could see men's programs taking it. You can just see the wave, and it's you know there have been a couple of programs here or there already. But you know where is the money going to be for that? To your point, if there's no college football, if there's no college basketball, and yeah, a lot of this is speculation. But you know, I, I want to get back to you in a second, Chris. But Matt, your thoughts on uh, you know the state of college tennis right now? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm not going to go too far in depth here, guys. But, I, I mean, it, it is good to know, obviously, Tim Russell, and, and you mentioned this, Russ, and he does care. Um, and, and that's important. I like his message. I agree with his message. I didn't love the article, I'll be honest. I mean, for all the reasons that you guys mentioned, it, it wasn't really my favorite. But, but his message is there. We have to remember, though, guys, college football is so, so, so important. I mean, this is the sport. I mean, athletic departments, that that really is, it is college football. And we've already seen, I I remember it might have been last week or two weeks ago, um, University of Wisconsin at Green Bay has already dropped their program. Did you guys see that? Um, So, I mean, hopefully, you know, this doesn't continue to happen. But right now, it's just wait and see. 
You know, this is a wait and see mode. Um, we're going to have to see what happens with football. In football, you know, again, like Chris mentioned, if, if that's out, um, there could be some serious issues. I, I really hope it doesn't get to that point. I, I mean, I'm ho- holding out hope that we have college football and basketball, and then, you know, we're going to get back to some, you know, normalcy. But right now it's a little bit too early to tell it. And I, I do, of course, we will move on from this topic because it's not going to be all loom and gloom. I promise we have a lot of fun coming up, listeners. But, Chris, this is where your insight and <laughs> – you know, it's a pay it forward thing. Matt compliments me. I'm going to compliment you. I know you are looped in with so many of these coaches, and I would never ask you to violate their trust and give us names. But can you speak to the financial impact for so many of these coaches? What no NCAA tournament, no conference tournament, yes, year end rankings, but not official year end rankings, how it impacts not just these programs, but at a more granular level, you know, how these college coaches are feeling it and, you know, why that will impact the sport moving forward as well yeah you know it, it was interesting i put i put the tweet out real quick um, i just want to read i want to read the tweet because i have the link saved and it was a fantastic question from you it was serious question looking for healthy debate it is very common for coaches to have incentives in their contract based on final ranking knowing that's why uh knowing that why would the operating committee vote not to publish final rankings thereby costing their colleagues money not to mention donor dollars sorry there's the context from there chris go yeah, so I, you know, and basically I asked for folk for for the coaches. I said, hey, you know, you know, message back, and I I I received you know numerous. I would probably in the twenty to thirty range. I got I got about twenty to thirty private messages uh, from uh, D one head coaches, uh, and probably seventy five percent men, twenty five percent women, with responses and thoughts uh, on the tweet, which is what I was looking for, right and and, and honestly, and the reason I asked is because my thought going in was, golly, this operating committee is made up of, you know, of, of a bunch of coaches. Why would these coaches vote against releasing these rankings when I know many of their colleagues? Now, granted, the obvious reason is it didn't affect them. But taking out the fact that anybody might be that completely selfish that if it's not me, I don't care, uh, because I don't generally think that that's what, you know, the coaches are, are thinking. Uh, why, you know, why, why would they do that? And, and I got a, you know, a lot of various responses. I would say that, you know, it was probably 60, 40 split. And I, I expected, I thought it would be heavier. So uh, it was a little bit of a surprise to me, 60, 40 in favor uh, where the 60% came along the lines of, yes, it cost me not a fan, you know, here's why. And 40% that were more along the lines of, Hey, man, we're just thankful to have jobs. We weren't going to get bonuses anyway, uh, you know, no matter, you know, regardless. So what, whether that means it wasn't, you know, they could have gotten out of the contract as the school per se or whatnot, but you know, a few of them, and these are all, these are uh, primarily power five, you know, big, a lot of top 10 type schools. And I got some ranging from, and I'm just kind of thumbing through here um, again, obviously not going to mention any, any names, but, you know, I'll read a few, a few of them here. So one, and, and so this first one actually went to the fact, not only the monetary fact we talked about, but the fact that D1 elected not to publish, but D2 did, and D3, I believe, did. So it says, you know, this one said, it looks strange with the final rankings in D2 and no rankings in D1. 
I know a number of D1 coaches who are losing anywhere from 10 to 30K due to not having final rankings. Also, final rankings are, and this is a point I hadn't really thought about, final rankings are used on coaches' evaluations by administrators when the evaluations happen at the end of the year. So I knew it was tied in contractually into bonuses and whatnot. Hadn't really thought uh, through that point uh, uh, too heavily. Um, had had another one that was basically uh, along along the same lines that that said, "Hey, it's a shame they came to this conclusion. Unless it personally affects you in some way, I don't think those coaches, you know." And this was one that was more along the lines of, "Yeah, I think they were selfish. I don't think those coaches look at it from other people's lenses. Uh, maybe one day they'll be impacted directly." Uh, but uh, you know, and and it went on. And then I had you know a, a fair share of uh, of hey we. You know, we weren't going to get, uh, we weren't going to get that anyway. Uh, so yeah, I had a few of the, uh, I had a few of the, the messages that were all kind of around the, hey, I've lost money or other coaches have lost money, and then and then there were the, uh, kind of the messages that were along the lines of, hey, you know, we're we're thankful to have jobs and we got to do whatever we can. Um, I did get get one very interesting, uh, pretty long long-winded uh one that was that touched on a lot of different subjects uh really that that went into just kind of the what, what i hadn't really known or thought about was the fact that uh, this one's and I'll, I'll read a little excerpt from it it said it said uh to your to your question regarding the ita rankings relative to bonus for coaches as you know we're entering a challenging time budgets are being slashed and college coaches and admins are having to reduce salaries travel hiring recruiting etc in fact countless d1 coaches uh, are having to take 10 to 20 percent cuts to their salary the ncaa deciding to award fifth year eligibility in scholarships was a poor final decision as much as I know that sounds insensitive to the seniors with the reduced income from the cancellation of the basketball tournament all the programs are struggling financially and if football's delayed or doesn't take place we're truly in a desperate time anyway the the bottom line is bonuses is not a big concern in, in my opinion and certainly not a decision by the ITA to deprive coaches of receiving them most departments Departments can't afford to fully pay salaries, and we are quite concerned about the elimination of non-revenue sports. So that you know, that was probably that one touched on a little an area that I hadn't really uh, been too privy to or, or known a lot, lot about. In the fact that yet yeah, many of these coaches maybe have already either agreed or whether they had to agree or not been given you know pay cuts, if you will. So I can certainly understand the. Uh, the hey we're just ha happy to have a job i think it was devin bowen that was probably the first one to re to reply to my original tweet with that response uh but you know if i was if i saw a number of my colleagues being uh being given pay cuts and or i was given a pay cut along those lines that would probably be my take is hey i'm happy i'm painfully employed and get to do what i love to do right but uh but it, yeah it was it was an interesting an interesting mix and i think to some extent, it probably fell along the lines of the schools where maybe things like that had happened. Those folks were, hey, I'm happy to have a job. The schools and or conferences that were a little uh, a little more stable, strong, you know, funded, if you will, and, and people felt like they weren't in jeopardy. 
then in those cases, people kind of took the mindset of, hey, I didn't get a good deal of my salary that I would have gotten and, and my school would have been able to afford to give it to me uh, had we had either final rankings or – and a lot of them went into more than just the rankings, right? Obviously, the ITA, the only decision they made was not to publish, and it wasn't them. It was the operating committee, was not to publish the rankings. It wasn't their decision to not have a tournament or not have conference tournaments. I mean, that was just obviously the fact that that's just the way it was going to be. And anybody that had incentives based on that, uh, you know, they 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 unfortunately had you know took the side effects of that. And and to some extent, that was probably part of their gripe was, hey, no conference tournament. I didn't get the chance to earn my bonus. No NCAA entry. I didn't get the chance to earn my bonus. And you know, who knows? Maybe that has some effect in the future on the wording of those contracts. <laughs> Instead of being the final rankings, it's the last published rankings. Uh, I yeah, don't know. No, no. I, but that's kind of that was the gist of all of the responses yeah, I and got. I, I shouldn't do this because, you know, just I suppose it's bad form. But that text, the wording, and Westoff quack out the name I'm about to say. But that sounds like it came from... <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me that doesn't just sound like a sentence he would say. Uh, and that, first of all, you're abs- you're you're absolutely wrong because that quacked out name is probably only ever called me twice. <laughs> no, I mean that, that, that's uh, I. And again, thank you to all of the coaches who uh, do interact with us. Like I said, I was texting coaches around the country trying to come up with my ideal lineup. I was saying, hey, what do you think about this guy versus this guy? What do you think about this? guy versus this guy and of course all of the answers are off the record so i'm not going to say who said what but always appreciate that they take the time to respond because you know they have the first-hand accounts of what's going on inside all of these programs the discussions that are happening uh, at the highest level so we always appreciate hearing from them and of course this will continue to be a storyline we monitor until things are back to normal until we know we're going to see a 2021 college tennis season but before we think about that we have to end our thoughts on 2020 and so here's what I want to, or here's what we're going to do today. As I mentioned at the top, uh, we're going to run through first the All-American list. We're going to talk about the singles guys, the doubles guys, and again, these are just the men D1 players uh, who received All-American. We're going to talk about our snubs, give the guys maybe we th- you know think should have had, and maybe the guys who shouldn't have in exchange. And then we're going to get to our ideal lineups from this 2020 season. Let's start with the All-Americans. And Westoff, give me some sort of All-American sound effect. Please. So this year, 20 singles All-Americans for the men's D1, 10 uh, doubles teams, 20 in total. Compared to the five-year averages, just so you guys know, over the past five years, there have been about 25.4, I mean, 0.4 of a person. That's a little rude. I know Kyle Seelig's short, but you shouldn't consider him 0.4 of a person. Um, But no, 25.4 over the past five years, uh, 28.4 doubles players. So again, that's about 14 teams and about 7.2 players average uh, each year to get both singles and doubles uh, uh, honors. And so this year, again, 20 singles, 10 doubles, seven got both. Matt, what do you think about the ITA's decision to, you know, have an All-American team given the limited sample size? And then ultimately, what did you think about them going with that 2010 number? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's nice that they were able to, you know, give the awards. I mean, it's the the All-Americans are very prestigious awards. So it's it's definitely, you know, all the work that 
these guys put in. I know the season was cut short, but it's not like these guys weren't working hard and, and earned this. So very happy that they gave the awards out. We just got to remember, I mean, this is a little bit different uh, of a year. I mean, obviously, it's just it's way different than it normally would be. So we just have to factor that in. But overall, I mean, I think they did a pretty good job, um, you know, with the lists. It's They're never going to be perfect. Um, and, and my big thing is, and, and I don't know if you guys noticed this as well, but I mean, college tennis, right, is played in the fall and the spring. For these awards, all Americans, we're supposed to take into account what happened in the fall and also what happened in the spring, correct? Correct. Okay. So well, I just noticed that it, it seems like on th there are certain scenarios here where I don't know if they were taking that fall play into account, maybe as much as they should have. Um, just because a lot of guys that are on here, they may not have even played in the fall, right? And, you know, they, they do their work in the spring. That's fine. I have no problem with that. But overall, when I think about All-Americans, I, I look at the entire body of work. You know, what did this person or what did this doubles team do throughout the entire season? That's kind of how I look at it. So overall, I mean, singles, I, I thought they did a pretty good job. There's there's a few guys, um, you know, if you want to ask me about snubs that I think maybe should have been in there. Um, I'm not going to name any names, you know, and, and pull anybody off the list. That's just rude. Um, and and I, I don't want to call anybody out like that. I mean, they, they got the award. I'm not going to say, hey, this guy didn't deserve to be an All-American. But, you know, just looking at the singles list, one thing that caught my eye right right off the bat is just three guys from Florida. Um, that's interesting. I mean, to have three guys, you know, from the same team on that singles list with only 20 guys, you know, not, not our normal 24, 25, just 20, um, you know, Florida's obviously a phenomenal team, but it's not like they were, you know, number one, two, or even top five in the country um, for the last ranking. So seeing three of them on there, I don't know, maybe I would have rather had two guys um, instead of all three. We could have given that slot to somebody else. Um, but other than that, I, I think for the singles portion, they did pretty well. Yeah, uh, to your point, we're team inclusive here at Cracked Rackets. You're right. There's no one we should say uh, doesn't deserve a spot. It's more about if the parameters are 20, are there guys you would include over others? Everyone's a champion in our books here. Come on, we're both millennials, Matt. We get that attitude. That's what everyone says. All we do is the participation trophy. Uh, so let's just give more participation trophies. Uh, meanwhile, Look, I, I don't want anybody coming after me, okay? Yeah, well, now you've got high stakes, right? We know there's a listener who uh, is a big role in one of your – you know, part one of your family members' lives now. Uh, so I suppose, yeah, we, we want to keep you from getting in trouble. But, you know, to your point about fall versus spring accomplishments and where each player is at, uh, for Duarte Valley, that's a fall pick, right? That's a guy who had a sensational fall, uh, was playing three, and was having success, of course, for the Gators. But yep. that's a testament to his fall results. Probably Phil Henning as well. Um, you know, again, but there are also some guys who, I guess, you know, well— yeah, I'll give my stubs now. Here are the guys I would have considered for uh, adding onto the list, and maybe even if you don't want to take anyone off, still just throw them on as well. Uh, Damon Caceres from St. Mary's, that was a yes. notable one. That's a guy who's had a sensational year. You and Chris have talked about that on previous GSPs we did throughout this season. You know, too early in the year, but do I think Brandon Holt would have gotten there? Yes. I also think he deserves some sort of recognition for that effort he put together at the National Indoors and 
again. These are all American lists. I want them to tell the story of the, the season that they cover, and I think he needs to be included in that story. The two controversial ones I'd have, and they're both borderline cases, you know, Andre Styler was just spectacular. And does he deserve to be an All-American? Did he play much in the fall? No, and so probably not. Um, but, you know, that was a guy just, again, his – his year is the story uh, because Michigan was as good as it was because he just went on this roll towards the end of January and through the indoors. And then the last one who just deserves some recognition singles-wise, in my opinion, is Sven La from Baylor. Sven, was, he was 10-0 and at the two singles position. He was playing one doubles and doing well. He was keeping, you know, it wasn't just him, but him succeeding at the level he reached, him playing as well as he was, was keeping that team afloat pre-Brooksby. So those are the guys I considered. And then, you know, Paul Jobs, the defending NCAA singles champion, you want to throw him a recognition as well. That's fine with me. Uh, Chris, your response to that. Well, I think so. So first let's, for maybe the, maybe the listeners that aren't overly familiar with it, the, the all Americans that were given out, right. There was, there was no voting, et cetera. Right. It was simply the computer rankings, top 20 singles, top 10 doubles. So there, you know, nobody had any bias here. You can't go to the ITA and say, why didn't you give it to who? They just used the standard rankings that they always do. They did a double run and the guys that were top 20 came out. Now, I think the part that's interesting to note from the singles perspective is two of the guys that you mentioned, Alex, and Damon Casares and Brandon Holt, they were both top 20 in the last published rankings before the double run. So, Either the guys behind them got a couple good wins in the last, uh, you know, post the last published ranking uh, and before that double run, or they incurred a loss, right? Something happened in there, but they were the, the two of them were 17 and 18, respectively, for Casares and Holt. Uh, and they dropped out of the top 20, obviously, after the double run. So they had to be right there and very close, but didn't quite uh, make it in. And, you know, my other thought was to, uh, to, to Maddie's point. Yeah, it's, it is kind of hard to look at a, a team like Florida and go, why do they get three of the three of the 20, uh, considering other schools in there like USC, who's clearly that was the number one school. Right. Um, uh, but, at, but then when I look at it and I go, well, okay, so I want to, and forget who I want to throw out elsewhere just to bring people in, but who am I going to, which of those guys am I not getting? going to give it to the the guy that clearly was their number three guy on the team in Duarte Valle. I don't see how you don't give it to him. I mean, Alex talked about the tremendous fall he had. Hell, he only lost one match in the dual match season. Um, and he had all those tremendous wins in the fall. So I don't know how you leave him out. So then you're down to saying, okay, then, then maybe it's Crawford or Riffis. And Riffis had a couple losses in there, so maybe you take it. But uh, you know, so it's a matter of whether you're judging it based on exactly the matches they played or, you know, some people want to look at it by talent level in general. And you go, hey, Riffis has probably got the biggest upside from a pro career standpoint. How, you can't take it away from him. I, you know, it's tough. But again, it was it's just the formula. And I, I think, uh, yeah, I, I think that was the biggest thing for me. I was surprised uh, to see Brandon Holt drop out. The, the jump thing, obviously, when I saw he wasn't in there, that was the first thing I did, Druskin, was go look and see that. I mean, obviously, he didn't play a fall, and that's what hurt him. He didn't play the fall uh, and didn't get a chance, really, in the dual match season 
to pick up the big wins in, in the SEC. He got to play Blumberg twice, but lost to him both times. Uh, and then just didn't get into the heart of that SEC season where he got to pick up the wins that would have put him right back into the top 16. And the other thing to note, I think, and that's my other take, is you mentioned the numbers. I think that's great, uh, great, you know, great shot to you, great analysis on the numbers from previous years, because I think when you look at it, the 20 and 10 is definitely on the light side. And maybe they wanted to intentionally be. I'm not saying that they didn't. But, you know, normally you get 16 singles and eight doubles from rankings. So final rankings uh, going into NCAAs, 16 doubles uh, or 16 singles, eight doubles are automatically All-Americans. But then you can also earn it by reaching uh, a certain level uh, in the NCAA tournament, which is why it's a varying number every year because the people that make it to, uh, you know, say the quarters to earn All-American – Maybe either they either were or weren't already top 16, so that adds additional people to the All-American list. So, yeah, Alex, I think, you know, the the analysis you did that you let off at the top of the show in the the previous year's number of All-Americans, I think uh, that's, that's great shot to you on that analysis. And the 20 and 10, obviously, I think is – it's a little low and light, and maybe it was intentional, and they wanted to do it that way because of the way – that you normally get to all Americans for for those the for the listeners that aren't oh you know super familiar with that normally what happens at the end of the year is the top 16 singles and top eight doubles in, in the rankings are automatic all Americans and then in addition to that to earn it you have to get to a certain spot in the NCAA tournament and because the people that make the quarters uh, of NCAA tournament for example may or may not have been already top 16 singles or top eight doubles, then they can earn All-American without having been ranked there. And that's the reason for the fluctuating numbers. Uh, and I would have, you know, I think in general, it's always more than 20 and 10 and because of that. And and so there were probably a few that had we gone to say maybe 24 and 12 or 24 and 14, closer to what the normal numbers are, you might've seen a couple others. But again, it's no slight. It's no slight to the ITA. They didn't. They didn't vote on this. They didn't decide to leave anybody out. It's just that's the way the formula works. And you get a guy like Paul Jubb, who didn't play the fall. He hadn't gotten into the heart of the SEC season yet. He had two opportunities against Will Blumberg and didn't cash in. Uh, and beyond that, he just needed those SEC matches uh, because he didn't play the fall to be able to get the wins that would get him into the top 16 to 20 in this case and, and didn't have that chance. So yeah, if on paper, if you're looking at it, you say, absolutely. Paul Jubb's one of the top 20 guys in the NCAA. Right. But, uh, but when you just run the formula, it is, it is what it is. And, and many people are, su- were subject to the schedules that their team played the timing of when they played their teams. Maybe they had their big matches coming up in April and the season stopped before then. So it's a, you know, it's just a matter of happenstance and that's, that's the way it worked out. Yeah, I agree with you, Chris, on that. And and one other guy I do want to mention here that was, you know, I, I, I can't say a snub, but just somebody that deserves recognition. I think for me um, in singles is Adam Walton. And this is from Tennessee. And this is a guy again that didn't play in the fall. So he's at a bit of a disadvantage there. He can't, you know, get that ranking up there. But he went 12-1 and 1 
um, in duels. Played really, really well for Tennessee. Had some good matches. He was on a good trajectory. So, I mean, that's a guy that, you know, if we had played the whole season out, who knows? He definitely could have been in there, um, you know, at, at one of those All-American spots. But the other point I want to make here, and, and Chris, I'm going to disagree with you on this one. And you can tell me all you want to about, you know, it being an unbiased All-Americans, how they run the rankings twice and all that. Well, I, I don't buy it, man. I, I believe there is bias um, that that does go into these selections. I know they come out and say, "Look, we run the, we do the double run, and blah blah blah." That's fine. I still don't buy it. Uh, I, I believe there is bias, um, no question in my mind, and that's just that's how I feel. It's a lot. Some of these selections, it just uh, I don't know. To me, you can just tell that there's some bias in there, and and we're not going to see. The rankings, right? They're not going to put those out there. So, you know, I don't know. That's just how I feel. So, are you thinking that the there's bias in terms of it's not exactly the way the computer rankings came out? They kind That's of. That's right. Ah, uh, okay. That's right. That's exactly well, right. Yeah, I. So, yeah, I'm. I'm. Pro, uh, gosh, it's hard to imagine that I will side with the ITA. Um, Chris, I was going to say you've been kicked out once. Be careful here. Yeah, yeah. No, I actually, I, I would disagree and say, now, unfortunately here, right, I do all the team ranking stuff. So I, I ran the team rankings and I did the double run. And uh, with the exception of a couple teams where there was a back-to-back -back spots that were just flip-flopped, clearly because I either included or didn't include a match because I don't know exactly the cutoff point for them was, I know the team, I can, you know, I'm 99.99999% positive. On the team side, I verified through the data. Yep, that's exactly the way it happened. I have no reason to believe that they would have done differently on the singles and doubles, but I don't capture all of that and run it. So I, you know, I can't with any certain, you know, with any factual basis go, yeah, Matt, I ran those numbers and I can tell you you're wrong. I can't do it. But right. yeah, I would fall on the side of, I, I think they just run the numbers and that's the way they came out. But, but yeah, you know, people, obviously you can have different opinion. Yeah. I think that's fair. And to play uh, the arbiter, look, I think we have to say, Matt, you have skin in the game because your brother, Nick, him and Sean Scully had a sensational year and they were not one of the 10 men's doubles teams uh, named. And we've talked about, you know, this all American uh thing you know significantly but i do i am curious your thoughts on the doubles matt um and in particular just to the larger point i think i agree with what both of you are saying given that the five-year averages were at 25.4 and about 14 doubles teams and by the way if we're going to all be this complimentary of each other moving forward i'm not going to do these college pods for every until every two months because i really like how friendly we're all being this is a great uh it's a very nice switch up uh but you know i i think the larger point would be there were five spots to play with maybe. There were still a couple of doubles teams you could have played with. And at that point, you know, when you're deciding between, well, does a Keegan Smith and does a Moore Bullis deserve to be an All-American versus does a, a Brandon Holt or a Paul Jubb, I think that earlier conversation makes sense. The latter one, uh, you know, that's something I feel like that could have been avoided. But again, shout out to the ITA for even doing this. Matt, your thoughts on the doubles. Chris, yours after as well. Yeah, I mean, I think there were about six or seven of these teams that were just obvious choices. I I had no problem with them. That's 
that's not really the the thing here. I just I feel like, and I'm again, I'm not going to talk about anybody that shouldn't be on this list. I'm not going to do that. But um, you know, again, going back to the point of, are we taking in fall play, fall and spring? Um, there are several teams that are on this doubles list that didn't even play in the fall together. They they didn't even play any matches. It was just strictly in the spring. Um, and and I will say that the teams that I felt like got snubbed, there's there's a few of them. Um, yes, my brother Nick, Sean Scully, they had a phenomenal year. I mean, in the fall, they did a lot of their work in the fall, but overall, 21 and six, they were seven and one in duels. Um, played really well, had a bunch of ranked wins. I, I think they deserved it. I mean, they were in the top 10 pretty much the entire year. There's no reason why they should have been left off this list, um, especially looking at some of the teams that are, are sitting on that list, um, but also not just them. I mean, how about the UCF team guys, DeCamps and Mizuchi? I mean, they were phenomenal in the fall and then into the spring. I mean, these are two teams, Duke and UCF, that started out the year great in the fall, played really well in Tulsa at the All-American tournament there. Then they went to uh, California, you know, for that tournament, played really well, and then they carried it into the spring. So I thought that those two teams played at a high level throughout the year whereas you know some of these teams that are on the list did not they may have only played well in the spring um and the other team that i think at least deserves some kind of a, a shout out here is sigs garden Edo, right for texas they did play in the fall again together um and that's just a team you know for me they're not as as big of a snub as ucf slash duke but i think that those two guys deserve some type of recognition especially when you look at the list and see some of those teams on there. So that that's what I, I feel. I, I do feel that there's some bias going in, you know, going into this. It just, there, there's no way that the computer rankings are going to leave off central Florida and Duke off this list. That just doesn't, it doesn't really make any sense to me with what they did throughout the entire year. Yeah, that's fair. And look, it's uh, not his big names. I mean, honestly, when you think about DeCamps, Mizuchi, Scully, Stikoviak, are those big names in college tennis, right? That everybody thinks about. No, they're not. So I, I just, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. Those are two teams that really should have made it. Yeah, and Chris, I want to get your thoughts, but you know, you could throw Law Fronson on that mix. They were number eleven, yes. I think, in the final rankings. They were yes. a phenomenal team this year as well, and. It's tough. There are always going to be snubs. Of course, you would like to give this to as many people as possible. But, you know, to your point, the team that got two doubles teams, North Carolina, they get uh, Kiger and Sondergaard, and they get Blumberg and Cernak. And we had the chance to talk to Will Blumberg on our mini break podcast that came out, I believe, on Thursday uh, to discuss him becoming an eight-time All-American, which, you know, it was, and by the way, that, that Thursday was Thursday, April 30th, depending on when you're listening to this, if you want to go look up the exact day. Um, um, but, you know, he's an eight-time All-American. He's the third player in NCAA history to do that. But to your point, Matt, and I don't think any of us would disagree. Will Blumberg being an eight-time All-American, was he one of the 20 best doubles players in the country this season? Absolutely. But, yeah, I, I can understand your gripe because, you know, your brother and Sean and uh, all, you know, Sven and Constant and Connie, and you can go on and on and on, uh, they all had exceptional seasons as well. So I, under, I see your point. Chris, what are your thoughts, and then we'll move on. Well, my first thought, more of a humorous one, is, Wow, how awesome would it be if Blumberg came back? Because who's ever gonna beat ten time All-American? <laughs> Never. It's not. It's not possible, right? Unless we mm -hmm. come across a 
another mixed time doubles. when they allow people mixed to play doubles. five years, you can't do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that that's great. But no, you know, the, the interesting thing on doubles, I thought, was uh, kind of to Matt's point, the if you looked at the last published rankings that Alex accidentally referred to as the final rankings, uh, the seven through 10, actually seven through 12 teams in those rankings did not make all American, which means, you know, theoretically after that double run on the computer, seven through 12 all dropped to 11 or lower. And, you know, what was seven, eight, nine, 10, there were four teams that jumped up and took their place of which, you, you know, really Lumberg buy that, Chris? you really buy that. Yeah, I buy that. Yeah. I mean, I, just because I, I see the I see the fluctuation uh, when when you do those runs based on based on who you played and how close uh, some of those things are uh, for Blumberg and Cernok who were thirteen to jump in there, Fine Zinc, uh, Bride and Zinc who were fifteen to jump on in there, Sankalin and Reynolds at seventeen made it up, and then the fourth and last team that jumped up in there from outside were Crawford and Riffis who were nineteen. Uh, there's that just that kind of fluctuation, especially early in the season, because it just depends so much on who who you're playing. It's really not. It's not about the losses. The losses don't really, you know, most of those teams they're not losing to unranked teams in general. So the, the losses aren't. They're not getting big penalties for the losses. It's really about who did you get an opportunity to beat, and if in the last two weeks since the since the last published rankings, you know, you had a a team that went and got to play a couple conference matches and beat a couple good ranked teams in the conference. It just get, they have opportunities that the other teams didn't. It, like I said, it wasn't about the other teams lost. It was, it's really just more about who did you get to play and who did you beat that was ranked top 50. And all of a sudden you vault up the rankings because of it. And because there's such a small set of wins uh, over quality teams at, as early as the season ended. I think that's completely fair. And again, uh, you know, Chris, now you sound like a millennial saying, hey, more people should get this. We should give participation trophies to everyone. But yeah, again, <laughs> that it will was... never come out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was uh, 20 uh, All-American singles players, 10 All-American uh, doubles teams. You can go find those lists on wearecollegetennis.com. I will give a shout out to these seven guys in particular, Will Blumberg, Sam Riffis, Oliver Crawford, Trent Bride, Daniel Kukerman, Andrew Fenty, and John McNally for being the seven guys who received All-American status in both singles and doubles. And, you know, that list sounds pretty accurate to me. All of those players monumental to the course of the 2020 season. And that gets us to our next activity. Uh, we are, you know, to put a bow on this fine, on this 2020 season, we wanted to have a little bit of fun. So I texted you guys, I think this was last week, and I said, hey, let's come up with our ideal lineups. Let's put together teams one through six singles positions, one through three doubles, and come up with the teams, you know, our ideal teams. And there were rules to this, you know, for a player to be eligible for the position, they had to have played the position during the season. Now, you know, are you guys going to cheat and someone played one match at six singles and you're going to throw them at six? I hope not. I tried not to do that. I tried to have people at positions they played for the majority of the year. But as always, the rules are fast and loose here at the Great Shot Podcast. Uh, But I also got the chance to text with a bunch of coaches to ask them what they thought of my lineup, whether they agreed or disagreed. I'm excited to let you guys know what they think. But again, we're going to go through the lineups, one through six singles, one through three doubles. Westoff, give me some sort of matchmaking ideal lineup sound effect, please. 
Maddie, let's start with you. Uh, in terms of uh, your ideal lineup for this year, uh, what was the, uh, you know, let, let's start again with just the one singles position. Who were the guys you considered? Who'd you ultimately go with? I consider one person, and you probably know who it is already. Who is it, Gruskin? Oh, it's Will Blumberg. Yep, that's exactly right. That was the one person I considered, didn't have to think about it. Look, uh, we've already talked about him enough, but the guy dropped one set all year. He dropped one set to uh, Paul Jump. That's it. Dropped a set to McNally, too. But still. Yeah, look, the bottom line is this, this is the clear choice here. I don't want any other guy playing one on my team. That's yeah. it. So I think that's completely fair. And again, to hear more about Will Blumberg's senior season, to hear what he's uh, weighing as he's deciding whether to come back for a fifth year or not. And to be honest, it really does sound 50-50. It sounds like he is waiting to find out whether there will be professional tennis next year and you know what it's going to look like before he really weighs into that decision. It's a wise decision for him. Uh, Chris, I want to hear your answer first. Are you also just Blumberg, no question, before I give my thoughts? Oh, absolutely. No doubt. And again, Blumberg, 10-0 on the season in dual matches. He had as man match, and I think dropped only two sets. And look, when we were at the National Indoors, if you heard us on the play-by-play call in the podcast immediately after, Chris and I were gushing over Will Blumberg. The serve, the forehand, the confidence he played with, he was dominant. He was playing matches on his terms. And, you know, there are so many good one-singles players ac- across the country. Guys I considered, Yuya Ito, who was so good through the fall, had a little bit of a slip-up at the National Indoors, but still as good as any one-singles in the country. I thought Trent Bride deserved a shout-out because he's 8-1 and one in the dual match season. He's really been steady for Georgia up top. I also wanted to give a shout-out to Barbatzer, who was 8-3 three, but that guy's just clutch. He knows how to win big dual matches. He knows how to get that point on the board for his team. But the player I received the most input for from these coaches, and again, it's all off the record, so you're not going to get names from me, but it was multiple coaches. And I asked them the question, if you could have Blumberg or you could have an unknown Jensen Brooks be playing one singles for you this year, who would you pick? And you would be shocked at the number of coaches who ended up saying Jensen Brooksby, who for as good as Will Blumberg was this senior year, they still would have taken Jensen over him. Oh, yeah. That's that's right on point, man. That's right on point. I agree with that. I'm taking Jensen. You would take Jensen over Will, even though he's never played a college match. This freshman year, you'd still take him. Hell yeah. See, I don't see that argument. I know Jensen won a match at the U.S. Open. Yeah, Jensen's a phenomenal he's, tennis player. He's better than anybody else in college tennis. He is. Do we know that? We yes. finally got to see. This was the healthiest Will Blumberg has been. And again, last plug, go listen to me talk to him on the mini break because he makes this point eloquently as well. This is the healthiest he's been since his sophomore season when he dominated college tennis. And he was showing that sort of form again at the start of this season. And it's three all, third set. Blumberg versus Brooksby to decide the national championship. Who are you taking, Matt? Jensen Brooksby. I've already said that. Really? I believe I believe he I believe he would be if he plays a match in college, he is the best player in the country. There's no question. I'm taking him over everybody else. So then wouldn't you take him number one? I said this like a year ago when we when we did our um our what do you call it? College tennis contenders. I guess that wasn't a year ago. This was like six months ago or whatever, but that's, I've already said this. Yeah. You, and you stick with that. I stick with that. 
Interesting. A, a healthy Brooksby, right? We're saying a healthy Brooksby, a healthy yeah. Blumberg. So then yes. I guess you would have Brooksby at your number one singles position. Yeah, but he didn't play. He didn't play. <laughs> so that's I, right. You said yeah. they had to have played. Yeah, that's true. God, getting I busted went, by my own rules. Yeah, come on, man. I, I went with your <laughs> rules. Yeah, that's rare. People usually don't follow my rules. Again, this shows we haven't been hanging out that much. Chris, your thoughts on this topic. I mean, my thoughts are since I know Will listens. Don't worry, I got your back, Will. Matt's crazy. I'm, I'm taking, I'm taking Blumberg. There's I no way I'm. Crazy. There's Come no on. way I'm Will. ever you know taking. I, I, I am never, ever, ever, ever taking a freshman that's not played college tennis to win. Never. Just because I know how hard it is for those guys coming in. You see the the January commits that come in, and I know Brooksby's a different level than all of these, you know, than ninety nine percent of those guys that come in, right? But there's there's just the entire uh, the the team atmosphere, the dynamics, and being around a team and everything else. On top of the fact that what we saw from Will this year, uh, I, I'm sticking with Will. Yeah. I think I would go with Will as well, and I labored over it because, again, I can break my own rules whenever I want. Um, and Will just uh, – uh, uh, Matty, uh, sorry to do this to you, but it was just being at the National Indoors. He just – his presence on the court, and, I, again, maybe this is just because it was my first time really Alex, calling someone consecutive. You know how many times that he goes to Chapel Hill. I live in Raleigh. I watch Will all the time. <laughs> all the time. Trust me. I love Will. I'm not saying anything bad about – this is not a knock on Will whatsoever. I chose him as my number one player. I love, love Will. Yeah. Not over Brooksby. <laughs> All right, I think we could leave that one there. And again, since I, I'm throwing in the quadruple plug here, uh, go check out the conversation I had with Will because, as always, he's candid, he's thoughtful, and that's why he's my number one singles player over Brooksby as well. But it was an interesting conversation. I thought you guys would enjoy that little uh, tidbit. All right, let's get to two singles because this, to me, two singles and five singles were probably the most difficult positions for me to pick. And I know you guys are probably thinking in your head, what, you didn't just take Kukerman off the top of you know the board? I didn't just yeah. take Kukerman. I had it come down to two guys. Uh, again, let's start with you, Manny. Was it just simple? It was Kukerman for you? I didn't even think about it for more than three and a half seconds, Gruskin. And Kukerman, there's no <laughs> other answer. The guy's 11-1 and one in dual matches, 26-2 and two overall in the year. He lost at Ohio State to Cannon Kingsley. We know how tough it is to play at Ohio State. That's it. There's no question here. Daniel Kukerman's the choice. All right, you named my guy, though, because Cannon Kingsley, 8-0 at the two-singles position, 13-1 on the dual—or, excuse me, 12-1 on the dual-match season. He is 19-3 overall in the season, by the way. The Buckeyes were 13-1 overall at two-singles. USC overall 11—or, excuse me, 9-1 at the two-singles position. So— it was tough. They, Plus Kingsley at and I, Ohio State. If that's a neutral site match, who do you like, Gruskin? Well, so here's the thing. I'm pretty sure more or more, excuse me. I'm pretty sure Cookerman beat uh beat Kingsley during the fall. And in fact, I'm looking right he, now. He, he did. did. He, he round of six. He beat him. Yeah, he he beat him, and he loses because Cookerman's teammate beat him too. So he's okay. Out. So here's the thing. For Cookerman, that match, 6-4-3-6-6, excuse me, 4-6-6-1-6-4 win over Kingsley. When Kingsley beat him, it was 4-2. and two. 
at Ohio State. Okay, but it's a straight set. A win is a win. And I'm just saying it's a conversation. And right now, come May, given how good Cannon Kingsley and Cookerman looked phenomenal as well, but Kingsley was getting better and better. And there are a lot of talented people who can hit a big ball in college tennis. I don't know if anyone can hit the ball bigger than Cannon Kingsley, uh, who's just so aptly named. It was a discussion for me. I also think the two singles position was the mo- the most loaded position in college tennis this season. I don't know, Chris. Weigh in here. What are your thoughts? Well, I think I, I think hands down, it's Cook. I mean, I, I I probably thought less about it than Maddie did. Three and a half seconds was way <laughs> too long. Uh, it was it was instant automatic. It was it was Cookerman. But yeah, I mean Kingsley, and I will say, you know, probably the the match when we were at indoors that I I had the most fun watching was that match between Kingsley and Henry Squire from Wake Forest. Match the, the level of play in that in that match, while at the same time you had on court four Kyle C League, and I can't even remember was it Estathiu, whoever yeah, he was playing. It, it, a, a number four match that was a ridiculous level, but uh, but yeah, that Kingsley Squire match was was crazy. Yeah, I mean clearly for the up and coming. If I'm going, uh, you know what's what's ahead because he was a freshman, absolutely. But if I'm going based on the body uh, body of the year, uh, I'm taking Cooperman hands down. Yeah, I agree with you guys for the record. I think Cookerman's the right choice. I just think Kingsley deserves to be in the discussion. I think it was, you know, he was that good at the two singles position that it, it's not Cookerman with a runaway. It probably still the choice is Cookerman, particularly because he filled in so well at one singles as well for the Trojans when needed. But Kingsley was really good. And there are a bunch of other good guys. You know, we, the fact that we're not mentioning Andre Styler, Christian Sisgard, Sam Riffis, Govin Nanda, Seguin, and I really do think Sven Law for going 10-0 and at two singles deserves more credit for his work at this position that he's gotten throughout the year. Uh, because even though Baylor wasn't phenomenal early on, he has been phenomenal throughout the season. Uh, but yeah, I agree with you guys. Kukerman's probably the pick there. Although... I don't know, man. I really like Cannon Kingsley. But that's a discussion for another time. I guess we'll say that. All right, three singles. This is where I get funky. Maddie, let's start with you. Who'd you take? Yeah, this one I thought about a little bit more, but still, it, it for me, it ended up being a no-brainer. I went with Val Vachero, Texas A&M. Um, okay, this okay. time, look, he was 11-0 and 0 in, in duels. Now, he really wasn't their number three player, but according to your rules, no, so they this just is had perfect. to have played the position. No, they so I'm, cu- to, I'm, right? I'm, cu- I'm cutting you off because we completely agree. And I didn't say Vashro, but for my number three singles, I just put Texas A&M. Because the combination yes. of Vashro, Habib, and Aguilar, who's ever at three of that trio, is the favorite. And Rinky's really good. And Riley Smith and Moore Bullis are really good. But that top three for Texas A&M is ridiculous. They had yes. just beaten Florida at home. And they deserve recognition for how good they were this season. You have to... You, I just thought they deserved a spot in my lineup. And so I just put whoever it is on a given day, Texas A&M's three. Yeah, but it's it's Vachero. I mean, he was unblemished in, in mm-hmm. duels. And he, he only played number three four times out of his 11 matches. So, I mean, that's a guy that was winning at one. I mean, look, he's at the last rankings that were published. He was three, number three in the country. So how would you not want that guy who's number three in the country to play at number three in your lineup? I mean, that's that's crazy to me. Pretty easy choice after thinking about it for maybe seven and a half seconds this time. 
All right, this was a seven and a half second. I'm glad your future wife will be proud that you're up in your game. Um, Chris, your thoughts on this? Yeah, I'm kind of disappointed that Maddie went there because I thought I was going to be able to get one on you guys by sneaking Vashero in there, even though he wasn't really their number three. Uh, but yeah, I, I totally agree. Based on your rules of, you know, they had to play there during the year. That That's where I was going. And I'm with you. That's, you know, I kind of scanned down the rankings to, to go, all right, which team am I, which teams am I even investigating here? Right. And that was the first place I went was we have a lot of teams where you go too deep, too deep, too, you know, obviously more than too deep, but it, in the, in the players, right? You look at USC and you go, wow, Kukerman Hall. You look at Carolina, Blumberg Seguin. You look at, you know, Michigan, Fenty Styler. But when you get to a- A&M, it's like, well, there's three guys. And it's the first place I went where it was instantly, there's three guys. Uh, and, and so that's where I stopped. Yeah, that's fair. I think other guys, again, Rinky Hijikata, Riley Smith, They, I think Rinky was undefeated during the season. He was like 7-0, and and you know, Riley, Moore Bullis, Stefan Dostinich combined for 11-1 and at the position. He was an All-American, but we didn't mention him yet, so Duarte Valle certainly deserves some consideration at this position. And then imagine if Brooksby was healthy and Sven Law's playing three, uh, you know, Law or Vashro or Rinky, that would have made for some really fun late May tennis. Um, but yeah, I, I'm glad we're all in agreement here. It shows the group think is still strong. It shows we're all thinking about this and we wanted to be clever. So I appreciate that. Yeah, we all agree. Texas A&M, whomever it may be, Vashro, Habib, Aguilar, they, that third guy deserves the number three singles position. Again, it'll it seems it'll get funkier and funkier as we go. But number four, Maddie, who'd you pick? Yeah, this one again was pretty easy for me. I went with Kyle Seelig, and and you guys know that he really and I had been saying this all year, right? He is not their number four player. He should be playing number three, and he did end up playing number three towards the end of the year, as he should have been. But according to your rules, Gruskin, they just had to have played the position. Number four, I don't want anybody other than Kyle Seelig, man. I mean, he's going to be in every single match at number four, and he's going to win almost every single one of those matches. Went 11-1 and one in duels, 8-0 at the number four position. So when he played four, he didn't lose. This is just a guy that, I mean, he's experienced. He's, he's, he's maybe small, but at number four, that's my guy, man. Kyle Seelig. Yeah, I could watch that Kyle Selig Melios Estafalu match from that Ohio State Wake battle on repeat for three hours a day, and it was just that phenomenal. It's a really good pick. He was one of my finalists as well. Chris, I'm curious, was your number four singles pick my other finalist? No, I well, I actually went with Kyle Selig, and I really I wanted to go with somebody from Wake at four just because they. They were so good at four. They were like, I think, 12 and two, if I remember correctly, something like that when I looked. Yeah, at at four. And what I was actually really, because I was trying to play your game, and because I know that Squire (laughs) finished the year high, I was trying to slide Henry Squire in as my four guy uh, because he did play a couple matches there. But... Uh, but in the end, I looked at it and I went, yeah, but even Estathi, play, who played the more match, you know, the bulk of those matches at four for Wake, he lost that match to C-League in indoors. And like you said, I'm, and you and I both sat there and watched just the unbelievable level in that match. I just, I can't get away from making it Kyle C-League. Yeah, that's a really good pick. And I think 
Uh, you know, Melios was really good. He and you guys know I was pro Wake Forest this year. I thought they were going to make a really strong May push, but uh, neither of those guys were my pick. And Kyle Selig was again phenomenal this year. I do I think he was going to end the year at four singles? No, I don't. But the majority of his season was spent there, so again he would have qualified. The guy I think I had to have picked is more bullish uh, from USC. And, you know, USC definitely deserves at least one, maybe two spots in this lineup because they were that good this season. And for more, uh, you know, he went 4-1 and one at the position, but he was 5-0 and oh at three as well. The team is 7-1 and one at four singles overall. If more bullish doesn't lose that match to Connor Johnston, which, by the way, happened, I believe, at, was that a four singles match or a three singles match? I'm pretty sure that was a three singles match, Chris, uh, because everyone was jumped up a spot because of of how injured everyone was and you know outdoors you probably have to take more over Selig, just, you know, physically their statures. And, you know, you look for more bullets. His one loss uh, came this year, uh, uh, again, against Johnston in the dual match season. But when they played Ohio State, he beat Justin Boulay's uh, two and two at that four singles position. I mean, Moore is outstanding. He's the sophomore. I think he was top 20 in the country at one point this season. He's exceptional. So I don't know. Is that a good pick, bad pick? What do you guys think? I don't love it. I mean, it's not, it's not horrible. It's not horrible, but I, I, I wouldn't roll that way. That yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm too biased by what I saw indoors. And, I, and I'll tell you, Matt, Alex, I was very tempted once we got past Will Blumberg to just go, I don't care what you guys say, I'm just taking USC. <laughs> <laughs> Two through six, I'm down. I'll, I'll take them. But, no, yeah, I, I, the way Connor Johnston uh, beat him, I just – yeah, I don't. I'm with Matt. I don't. I don't love it yet. He's, you know, he's going to win the majority of his matches, obviously. But, uh, but based on what they did this year, yeah, and and what I saw of them in person, I, I'm definitely sticking with Kyle Seeley. All right, but we watched that Josh Peck match, and that was three and one, and Bullis crushed him. Chris and you know I I just think Connor presents a particularly bad matchup for a bunch of different people and more bullets happens to be one of those people but you know outdoors like do I think Kyle Selig has enough weapons to beat more bullets who again that's going to look a lot like the Melios match I just think bullets has that little bit of an edge I would probably take him but it's a battle it's an either or so I accept either answer there uh now let's get to the five singles position I'm gonna be honest I have it blank right now I haven't decided who I'm gonna go with Maddie, who'd you go with? Well, the the depth here. Now we're getting into the depth of our lineup, and really the two teams that I'm looking at. Chris, I'm sure Chris is right there. But Maddie's going to take mine. I can feel it. Maybe, maybe not. Um, look, we're we're talking USC and North Carolina. I mean, you could go with Stefan Dostinich, who was tremendous as a freshman for USC. But really, when I thought about it, I'm like, there's no way I'm going anywhere other than Brian Cernock at yeah. number five. Are you yeah. kidding me? Number five. Yep. Look, the guy's 10-1 and one in dual matches. A lot of those were at number two, number three, number four. He played all throughout the lineup, but he played like six matches at the number five position. Are you kidding me? If I can slot him at number five, there is no way that I can roll with anybody else. Give me Brian Cernock, man. Number five. I'm going to win this dual match, whoever I'm playing. I know that. <laughs> well, tell that to UNC coach Sam Paul after he watched Cernok drop that match to Stefan Dostinich at the national indoor final. And I'm not going to lie, that one result— one loss. W- 
Yeah, but it weighed heavily in my mind because I was there. And, you know, again, Blumberg-Cernock up 5-4 in that one doubles tiebreaker. Two uh, Blumberg serves to come, and they lose that. And then Cernock got off to just the most brutal of starts against Dostinich. Almost fought his way back, but wasn't able to do it. I don't know. Cernock is clearly incredible. And the three rounds before that, he was dominant. But... I don't know. It, it's not as set in stone for me. I don't know. Chris, did you go with Cernok? Is that just the pick? Yeah, I did take Cernok. Yeah, that's fair. I Look, my other finalists are, and this hurts me, but I almost went with Lucas Greif, but I was like, no, I can't do that. I was like, <laughs> well, what about Trotter? Trotter seemed to clinch so many matches for the Buckeyes. He was clutch, and he's certainly an outstanding five singles player. But I seen, you know, Ty Tucker. I Ty Tucker revealed to me James Trotter's soul, and I didn't like what I saw. Um, so I guess Trotter's out. Beatty, maybe just for the season he has, you throw him in there as Whoa. like you know, just because like this. I mean, do you know some of the matches he pulled out? You do. It was in, it was sensational. If I get February Nick Beatty, I might just sign up for that. Ruskin, stop being a homer. Yeah, no, Cernok's probably the pick. I mean, you guys are right. You're right. You're right. Cernok's the pick. That's fine. We'll lock it in there for five singles. All right, six singles. Who was your pick, Matty? Yeah, this one I wanted to go a little bit different of of a direction. I mean, again, you talk about depth. You think, you know, USC, North Carolina, Florida, teams like that. But I I really kind of dug in and looked at some other other squads. And one guy that I was thinking about, I was really considering for this number six position was Sander Jong from uh, TCU. I thought he had a really good year um, and, and he played a, a, a good bit of his matches at the number six position. I, I thought about him, but um, I dug a little bit deeper and I actually went with Constantine Fronson from Baylor. Wow. So this guy, I, I really wasn't going to think about him too much until I looked into it. He was nine and one in dual matches. He played four, five, and the number six singles positions. He actually didn't lose at four or five. His one loss came at number six. He was three and one at number six. He didn't lose at four or five. The guy was like top 85 in the country on that last ranking when it came out. And I was just thinking, man, this guy's big, six, four. If I can throw him down there at six and he's going to go nine and one, in dual matches, let me roll with him. So your transition, I went with the big your transition to Baylor fanatic, your transition to the Boland bandwagon <laughs> is going to be phenomenal for us to follow. <laughs> I mean, this is just going to be. Really, it wasn't about that. Oh, it, it was okay. not about that. Okay, I actually just hacked hey, into your DM. Just pull, pull up his results, man. Pull up his <laughs> results, and I think you'll see. You'll see what I'm talking about. Look, I didn't know. That's why I had to do a little bit of research. Once I, once I dug into it, I was like, man, this guy this guy was doing really well. He had a really yeah. good season. They were finalists for me. Bay- Again, I went with the team choice here. I cheated, but Baylor was 13-1 and at the sixth singles position. Florida, we talked about their depth all season long. If singles was played 1-10, through 10, they'd have won the tournament hands down. Uh, they were 14-1 and one at the spot. I do want to give a shout-out to Austin Huang of Columbia. He was 7-0. and I know Blake Kreuter for Georgia got some reps in at six. That was a joke. Uh, and yeah, I'm not going to give away my pick yet, but Chris, what are your thoughts on this position? Who'd you go with? Well, I, I think kind of in the spirit of what Maddie did, I felt like I, I needed to go out. I, I had to get away from all of the obvious choices. And I'm and clearly this is horrible. You guys are copying me. You saw my sheet, didn't you? You're no, about to say what it is. It's not the it's it's not the 
obviously the best player in the land that could have played six. But I went with very similar to what you did, a team who posted great numbers at number six. I had to stick in my homer territory of the SEC, and I'm going with Simon Yunk at Old Miss. What? (laughs) Because they were a surprise team this year, and we kept trying to figure out how in the heck are they winning all these matches. And you look, he didn't lose a match at six. Uh, you know, he played higher up where he did, but when he when he played six, he was a lock. You're not going to lose at six. Yeah, that yeah. that's a really good pick, Chris. And again, I'm I'm so glad we're all going off the beaten path now that we don't just stick to the script that we've converted Maddie not only to a Boland fanatic but to someone who doesn't just go by the rankings. We've really done a number on him, Chris. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, my number six singles position and why I was starting to get upset at the get go, Maddie, because you you mentioned it with your first point. I took TCU at number six singles, and we talked about their depth all season long. They're going to be a really yep. exciting team should we ever get college tennis back. But the combination of of Jong, of Jurasek, of Kruger. They were 11-0 at the position. And, I mean, depth was their strongest feature. But to your point, Baylor certainly has an argument there. I'm glad we have some old misrepresentation because their run this season uh, deserves to be recognized as well. Although... Matt, that you're not going to talk, call him a homer for doing Ole Miss when I made the Beatty pick. That's literally Chris's equivalent. I was expecting him, you know, he's going to name his dream coaching staff, and he's going to take Schwant and Fauché. He's going to be like, they just did a great <laughs> job at Liberty this year. Uh, they were exceptional. Uh, but, no, I, uh, I I like all of those picks for the singles. I think we're all thinking fairly similarly, uh, which I don't know if that's good or bad. But let's get to the doubles, and we can do this one a little bit quicker. One doubles, tough spot. Who'd you go with? Let's switch up Chris then Matt oh I mean I'm I don't even like picking I'm sticking even though I saw them get beat I'm gonna take Cash and McNally wow really yeah I just I love I love the energy I mean I'm not the I'm not the big Ohio State fan that's why I say ah it pains me to pick them right but (laughs) Uh, you know, and, and, and various things, but I, lo- I love the energy from those guys. I love just watching them play, even though, you know, it's kind of like the guys you love to hate. I, I actually like hating them. I don't like Ohio State, I, but I love watching them play. Um, yeah, I mean, I wanted to wanted to take one of the one of the big teams, obviously, uh, you know, North Carolina, SC, big, big doubles team up top. But yeah, I'm I'm going to I'm going to stick with the team that was there early kind of they didn't put they didn't put up the uh, the wins there at indoors but i i still like them and i'll take them that's a good pick matt your pick is this going to be fronson and law 13 and one should we just expect that from here on in sorry i'm not done. not quite even though i mean they deserve look they, they deserve recognition but there's a lot of teams this was a tough one for me this was the hardest choice the number one double slot and and i wanted to go with riley smith and daniel Kukerman. they were phenomenal but they they really didn't and play as many matches as I would have liked. I actually ended up picking a team that I saw more from throughout the entire year. Fall, spring, they played a lot of matches together, and you're going to love this, Gruskin, but I went with Andrew Fenty and Matthias Seymour, <laughs> Michigan. Um, I just, I think they were they were really, really good. 13-2 and two in duels, 25-4 and four overall on the year, including fall play. This team was ranked like top two in the country, 
um, at the time of the last rankings, I, I thought they were really, really good. I was thinking Smith and Kukerman, but I just, they only, they were like seven and one in duels. They just didn't play as many matches. I got to see a whole lot more from Fenty Seymour. I'm getting with those guys. So I went with them. That's a, a really good pick. And Chris and I got to call them in person at a challenger. And you could see then that they just had something that their level of play was spectacular. Yep. Uh, look, I, initially I didn't have Daniel Kukerman in at two singles. And so I wanted to throw him in at one double. So I went with him and Smith. Now, I'm going to get in trouble, not get in trouble, but who do I think the best team I saw play this year was? Blumberg and Cernok. I, I just do. I know they lost that match to Smith and Cookerman, but they were the best team at the National Indoors. They had the two match points on will serve. Sometimes things just don't go right, and they didn't go right for them in that moment, but I thought they were the best doubles team. Fronson and Law have the best record at 13-1. and one. I want to pick Fenty and Styler, but I can't be that much of a homer. Riley Smith deserves recognition. Give me Kukerman and Riley Smith. I like that duo. You've got the big server in Smith. You've got Kukerman as well. That's an experienced team. That's a fearless team. Uh, but there are a lot of really good number one doubles teams. So, you know, you could pick any of them. I wouldn't have picked Cash and McNally personally, but it's not a bad pick. You really could make the argument for them. So I see all of them. All right, what about number two doubles? Who'd you go with, Chris? Uh, I'm... I can't get away from Kyger Sondergaard. I mean, that's that's the best. I mean, those guys were two years in a row. I mean, they were studs both, you know, last two years. Uh, having them, being able to play them at two, to me, is just ridiculous. You know, I, they were like 20 and three on the year, something like that. That's that's my, hands down, my team at two. Same deal, Matty? Same deal. I, I've nothing else to say 20 and three overall on the year and like nine and one in duels when you can play that team at number two that's a joke that uh, that one i'll say took me about 1.17 seconds to decide that one (laughs) the brian bullen 40 yard dash i like it um yeah i would say look Schachter and basher were really good Kreuter and henning were really good johnston styler really good jong paralek really good Holt and Dostinich beat these guys at the National Indoors, and that might have been the win uh, that really secured them the doubles point because one doubles was always going to be a toss-up. But yeah, you can't let one bad match take away what Kyger and Sondergaard have done over the past couple of years, so I agree. I think they are the pick. Now, for me, I didn't even have to think about this. It's been in my thoughts since we saw them play together at the National Indoors. Seguin and Rinki Hijikata are the pick for me at three singles, and it's not even close. Same for you, Chris? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Carolina doubles at three. I mean, yeah, they were, they were just ridiculous. They Nobody was even coming close to them. Yeah. Maddie. Yeah, I, I agree, but there's one other team that mm-hmm. I actually, there were two teams that popped into my head, obviously North Carolina, but the other one, how about Kyle Seelig and Cannon Kingsley at number three? That's mm-hmm. a really good team. They didn't lose. So neither one of those teams actually lost a dual match, North Carolina or Ohio State. Those two teams specifically, Rinky and and uh, Seguin, and then, you know, Kyle and, and Cannon Kingsley. So both teams undefeated in duels, I, I mean... It's, that's a tough call, but obviously I would go with Rinky um, and Ben Seguin. Yeah, I think it's a win-win either way. I also think Kruger, Famba, Goodyear, Valley yeah. deserve shout-outs. Yeah, Famba, Kruger to me was a definite all uh, you know honorable mention there. They were they they were 
they had I think they lost one match maybe on the year I'm not sure uh but they were they were really good yeah no I completely agree with you guys there well those are our ideal lineups. Hopefully you guys had fun with that exercise as much as we did. I actually, I don't think we disagreed. I mean, you know, I had to stir the pot a little bit, but a lot of agreement there. I think, it, you know, this year was fairly clear, and there was so much talent in college tennis, but, uh, you know, it's interesting to see, you know, how, how our thoughts aligned in that exercise. And if any of you listeners have your ideal rosters, please let us know. Where were we snubbed? Are we underrating Cannon Kingsley? Are we overrating Will Blumberg? That's not possible. I don't know why that that's the name I went with. Bad example, Alex. Hey, great shot. But anyways, hopefully you guys enjoyed that exercise. One last thing I want to do with you guys. It's how we end all of our college tennis podcasts. It's only fitting that this is how we end our our probably final podcast, at least related to results that happened during the 2021 Division I men's season. And that's with our top five teams. And we have to give our top five teams, right? Because we did see enough tennis to know, uh, you know, what our final thoughts were, to give judgments on who the top five teams were this year in college tennis. Maddie, let's start with you. Uh, Let's go with, hmm, I'm trying to think here. What do I want to go with? Let's go with, I guess, yeah, let's just give me five through one. From the bottom to the top, who do you have as your top five teams? All right, number five, uh, Texas A&M. So they're 12-3 and overall on the year, but they end the season on a seven-match winning streak. This team was really coming on. Uh, Two out of those three losses that they had came at National Indoors. You guys were there. Michigan and I believe TCU uh, were able to beat A&M at the National Indoors. The other loss was at Ohio State. So that one, I mean, and anybody that goes into Ohio State, we know what happens there. That's an automatic loss. Um, so that one gets thrown out the window for me. And they had just beaten Florida, really, for that number one spot in the SEC. So for me, Texas A&M was really coming on strong, and and I, I think they're worthy of that number five spot. Now, number four, I went with TCU. Um, and, and really, this, this is tough because – This is another team that I thought was really coming on towards the end of the year. They were on a nine-match winning streak. So overall, they're 12-4. and They actually had four losses in a row in the middle of the season. I think they played like North Carolina, Michigan, Virginia, somebody else. Um, And they ended up losing four matches in a row. But then they ripped off nine in a row and ended the year 12-4. and They beat Texas A&M at indoors. I thought this team was really kind of hitting their stride at the right time. So for them, number four. Now, number three, I didn't love this one. I really didn't, but I ended up going with Texas. Um, And I just don't know, guys. I mean, 13-3 and overall on the season. That win at Florida at the very beginning, Florida was number one in the country. They go into Florida and beat them. That, That match is just sticking in my head for some reason. And one of their three losses was also at Ohio State. So for me, that gets tossed out. You're going to lose at Ohio State. But man, Texas, I just, they're, they were the defending champs. They lost at Ohio State. They beat number one Florida. I don't know. I didn't love that choice, but I just felt like I had to go with it. And then obviously number two, North Carolina. They were phenomenal. 12-1 and one on the year. One loss loss in the finals of national indoors to, to USC. Um, you know, that's it doesn't need to be said any more than that. Number one, obviously Southern Cal, you know, they did have one loss also at Ohio state. They were 13 and one on the year, but when you win indoors like that, I mean, you're, you're slotted in there at number one. I don't think there's any debate 
about number one and two. Well, of course, that's what it really was. You were waiting to hurt my feelings to the end when you didn't include my Wolverines in your top five. I should have seen that coming. That's my fault. Yeah, sorry. Uh, especially since you had them, I think, number three when we did our last rankings, which, again, I— No, no, no. That was like—no, not the last rankings. That was like two or three rankings ago. <laughs> <laughs> Who can keep track Go back and double-check that. Yeah, West off be get on that right away. Um, no, but all right, Chris, your top five. So first of all, I need some crack West off research here because it was two or th- probably two pods ago when Maddie tried to give me the hardest time on Texas because <laughs> NC State knew, because I of what knew, NC State. And, I knew this was coming. And now he's got them at number three. Come on, Westoff, please go find that that clip and then tell me how, how Maddie justifies Texas at number three. So, I told you I didn't like it. I told you I didn't like it. And I remember when I gave my picks, I said the same thing, that I didn't like it and I couldn't, other than the fact that they beat Florida, that was the only reason I had them there. Uh, you know, so – uh, so, so my top five. I am completely abstaining from picking a number five because nobody deserves it. <laughs> so there's there's a lump of Texas, Florida, Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia for me. And yes, Gruskin wants to throw Wake Forest in there. I decline to allow them. <laughs> group. They will not be allowed. The other groups can all fight for number five. I don't care. Number four, right, right in line with Maddie, TCU. They were coming on. Uh, you know, I was really high on them early, dropped them down. Now they're on, back on the rise. They, they were certainly, certainly had found their stride, gotten hot. I went even even more bold uh, because, as Matt said, the top two are just a lock. It's USC Carolina two, so it's really a, a mix after that. I went with Texas A&M at number three just because of the way they finished. They beat Florida, took over, you know, were the odds-on favorite in the SEC they were hot had it not been for that, you know, super, super hot had it not been for that Styler-Aguilar match at indoors. Uh, you know, these they would have been a lock to be up there. So I'll take A&M at three, and then, of course, the same Carolina, North Carolina to Southern Cal at one. You guys are re- – I'll just say it. F*** you guys. Like, I should have seen this coming. I should have 100% realized that the disrespect was going to be saved towards the end. And I wanted you guys to pick Michigan so that I wouldn't have to. So that it wouldn't be like, oh, typical bandwagon Alex putting Michigan in the top five. But now I think I have to. You don't live there anymore, so now you can pick them. (laughs) And I can't jinx this season because it's already over. Um, But – so I have two top fives. I did a top five of who I think would have been the most likely to win this year's tournament, uh, this NCAA tournament, and obviously USC, UNC won two. But then I had still, I was like, I'm not over this Florida team. I still love them. I'm not over this Baylor team. I still love them. And then at number five, I had TCU. Now, for the accomplishments of this season, you know, as you guys mentioned, USC, UNC won two. I had TCU five. You know, that loss to Virginia looks bad. Uh, In retrospect, they obviously lost to a Michigan team that was about to get so hot as well. But this TCU team was getting better and better for all the reasons you guys stated. So they were my number five team. (sighs) 
Fuck you guys. Number four is Michigan. Like, come on. I got to do it. I got to do it. Like, let's just be honest here. That team was – it was the best team I've ever seen in my time as a Michigan fan. And, you know, again, that what does that mean in the grand scheme of things? It's not much, but this team was special. And just the, the run they had at National Indoors to lose that doubles point to Texas and then end up beating Texas, that was unlike anything I've ever been a, you know, ever been a part of in terms of a sports fan experience. And then number three, I went with the Buckeyes because they were the one team to beat USC. They played a real, you know, I don't think you can count their match against UNC at the indoors in the semifinals because I cannot overstate, or I can't understate. Let's go with understate. No, overstate. I can't overstate. I can understate, but you can't overstate just how drained they were uh, after that quarterfinal against Wake Forest. It was such a physical battle. Uh, But that Ohio State team was very good as well, and they were young too, so they were only going to get better and better. They lost as soon as they got outdoors well okay well that's a true thing they lost to georgia but do you know who's blocked that out of his head and Me. stanford they also lost uh, to stanford. that's true that's true <laughs> damn all right well then move michigan up a spot move tcu up a spot <laughs> oh my god um and hey, we'll go with hey, hey maddie i'm gonna say this not, we'll not, go with wake not, at five <laughs> not to make light of the situation going on but with with what happened to the way the season and got canceled, it was the only way Michigan was going to find their way into Grusty's top five. Because as soon as we hit outdoors, see you, boys. Yep. <laughs> well, you know what? Potato, potato. Uh, we don't have to remember that part of the season. We only have to take away the good parts. The only thing that was official was we were done with indoor play, and Michigan was that good indoors. But yeah, it speaks to, again, what was so fun about this season, what's so upsetting is teams three through you know, 14, as we talked about all year long, really depending on the circumstances, the court conditions, the weather conditions, could have all beaten one another. And that was why it was such an exciting season. And obviously, that's why we continue to look forward to college tennis's return whenever that may be. And there has been news about, you know, what players are going to come back, what players are going to uh, end up going pro or graduate or just move on with their lives. And let's save that for a later date because, you know, we're already at the hour and a half-ish mark. But, you know, for you guys, let's go Matt, then Chris. What will be your final thoughts, non-coronavirus pandemic related, as impossible as it is to untangle the two, but as you look back at this 2020 season? Yeah, I mean, it's hard because we didn't even really get into the meat of the schedule, right, with conference matches. I know some of we, you know, there were a few of them there towards the end of the season. But, I mean, I I think for me, it's just going to be that national indoors tournament. I know you guys were both there, so it's probably even more, you know, that's sticking out to you guys even more so than, than it is for me. But, I mean, I streamed all those matches. I was listening to you guys, so I felt like I was right there. And it just, that tournament, there was such high quality tennis, so many good dual matches up and down that draw. I mean, top half, bottom half, upsets, Michigan. I mean, everything that, that tournament is just really going to kind of be, you know, when I look back on the season, that, that national indoors is kind of the picture that's just sitting there in, in my head. I don't know. Yeah, it was definitely, no, I, I agree with you again. It's impossible to untangle the two, but the parody is what stuck out to me. Everyone was good. Everyone had different match calculuses, two victories, depending on the day. Again, that that Florida team didn't run away with the season speaks to how good USC, UNC, and all these other teams ended up being. Uh, Chris, what are your final thoughts on this season? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm with Maddie, and especially because you and I were there. What I'm definitely going to remember the most from the season because it got cut short, you know, not much more than a month after, after we were there, was the indoors and just, you know, the entire experience from everything we got to call from all the people coming up to you and I uh, in the booth there calling it, just saying, hey, man, we listen, it's, we love it, you guys are great to the coaches hanging out with us and having a fun time and and you know everything about it was was a blast so you know for the for the ita for making that possible for all the coaches for all the people that came up to us that was absolutely a blast and that you know that's what i'll remember because honestly you know we got a couple weeks after that and then you know the season was over yeah i i I completely want to echo your sentiments what made this season so much fun is for us it was really felt like the first season we were active participants in right chris and matt it's that you know we know that there are people whether it be coaches players fans parents who have reached out to us and said hey we listened to your coverage we think you guys uh you know add to the college tennis atmosphere and to hear people say that it means you know that's that's all we want to do to make college hope and help other people realize how enjoyable college tennis is, make them see the game the way that we do. And hopefully, you know, I think we've had that effect. And again, I want to give a huge shout out to you guys because it feels like months ago, I think it was only five months ago, Chris, that we got to hit interviews with all top 10 coaches, right? At our college contenders for the men's series. And, you know, to get that sort of access is just, it's a dream come true. It's why if I would have told that to myself at the end of, you know, my college time when this podcast was started, like, hey, you're going to do this thing called college contenders and you're not only going to break down all the teams with matt and chris but you're going to get to talk to all of those coaches as well i'd be like no no no, seriously what am i doing in three years am i president yet like where are we at how am i doing um and uh you know obviously you know to get this sort of path it, it means the world to us here at cracked rackets and seriously to the both of you guys the you know i love professional tennis as well i love all of the different things we do at cracked rackets but there's just something about bringing this college tennis holy trinity together that always puts a smile on my face it's why we always go over an hour and a half whenever we get together so seriously to the both of you thank you so much to all of our supporters who followed us along this season thank you so much for your support and this isn't going to be the end of our college tennis coverage you know we obviously will continue to talk about the transfers and things as we move forward but this was our recap of the 2020 season and we want to thank all of you for listening Uh, I know I just asked you for your final thoughts on the season but Matt then Chris final thoughts yeah, no, I mean, obviously disappointing for it to, you know, get cut short the way that it did, but it was it was fun going through it with you guys, of course. We got our little, um, you know, group chat, keep each other updated, and I'm just looking forward to next year. I mean, hopefully we get past all of this, you know, everybody can stay healthy, um, and we can actually have a, a college tennis season next year because, I mean, I'm, I'm already looking forward to it, and we're not even in May yet, or we're just starting May. So, um, miss you guys, definitely do. Well, Chris, so, you know, Groskin, you, you know, the best part about what's going to be coming next year for our coverage is that there I get is... to say, I was going to say for Matt, I'm going to say, and the biggest fan of the Baylor Bears, despite the fact that he has oh so few hairs. Um, oh. But no. <laughs> well, on, on, well, somewhat related is my point, And that is this year at indoors, it will definitely be the three of us because there's no way Stachowiak stayed away when his brother's playing. <laughs> Damn right. You're damn right, Chris. So we will all be in Chicago. Does he become like the sideline reporter? Do we put him courtside to listen to the smack talk, to listen to the coaching on the changeovers? Can we we have a sideline reporter? 
We, we can't. And, and, you know, so so there's our note for West off right there. He needs to get out and start researching the uh, <laughs> the wireless mic situation because, yeah, we, we were, were tethered. But as soon as we can become untethered, absolutely, I guarantee you we'll get we'll get good sideline reporting. Maybe we just put Maddie in the bathroom so that when Rodidi or Macy or any of them run there, we can just be like, hey, coach, how are you feeling? Obviously, the bladder's a little nervous. <laughs> it was your quack. It was, it was your quack earlier that visited like five times within an hour. <laughs> that's a good callback. I think that's a perfect place to wrap this podcast up. Well, you know, Matt, Chris, <laughs> thank you so much to both of you. As always, stay safe, stay healthy. And of course, hey, great shot to the both of you on another fantastic season. Hope you all enjoyed my conversation with Matt Stokowiak and Chris Halliors putting a bow on the 2020 Division I men's college tennis season. Just to echo that sentiment all three of us had at the end, seriously, for us here at Cracked Rackets, it was such a pleasure to get to cover this year of college tennis for me personally, to get to call the men's and women's uh, Division I national indoor events. That's one of those groundbreaking moments that I will always remember. And so to all of the coaches, the players, the fans out there who have embraced us here at Cracked Rackets. Sincerely, thank you to all of you. We hope you enjoyed our coverage. If there are things you want us to continue to improve on, if there are things you enjoyed in particular that you would like us to repeat moving forward, please just let us know. And of course, a huge shout out and thank you to both Maddie and Chris who make this sort of coverage possible. I try and consume as much college tennis as I can, but any gaps in knowledge I have or even things I think I know, they often know better than I do. So it's always such a pleasure to get to record with them. And again, a huge thank you to all of you. And if you're looking for more college tennis content, rest assured, our Cracked Interviews podcast is rocking and rolling with college tennis guests. Do I want to give you a sneak preview? Yeah, sure, of some of the guests we have coming on from the women's game. You know, number one player in the country, Ashley Leahy, number five player in singles, three in doubles, number one singles player for UNC, Alexa Graham. I talked to Michaela Gordon of Stanford as well. We've got all of those college tennis podcasts in the queue. We've also got conversations, and they may have come out already, but with Elliot Spazieri and Gianni Ross, uh, we've got a lot of other fun ones planned that we think you all will enjoy, so be on the lookout for all those on our Cracked Interviews podcast. And of course, as I mentioned at the beginning, you should go check out my conversation with ITA CEO Tim Russell as we discuss the future of college tennis and how he predicts the coronavirus will impact the sport moving forward. It's a really fascinating conversation. No one thinks about these issues more thoroughly than Tim. So be sure to go check that out. Uh, If you've missed any of our other content, be sure to go to our website, CrackRackets.com, the YouTube channel, Rockin' and Rollin', Overserved now, eight straight weeks, eight episodes of comedy a lot of quarantine based content we think all of you will enjoy that a nice break from your daily lives the stresses that come when we're all in quarantine for this long of course see our classics on there as well our look and some highlights from some of the best matches our recent CR classic Max Rothman and I discussing the 09 Wimbledon men's final between Federer and Roddick think that's a video all of you will really enjoy so be sure to go check that out and of course shout out as always to the super producers Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff 
the men's behind the scenes who make these sorts of podcasts, this sort of content we try to do day in, day out here at Cracked Rackets Possible. They have a f*** of an editing job to do, as they always do, and they continue to get the job done. So shout out to them because they are the best. Uh, but with that being said, for my... Oh, I should also say one more time, shout out to our friends at DraftKings. And just remember, just go to dkng.co slash Cracking Rackets. That's dkng.co, C-O, for that co, in case you didn't know. Hey, great shout to me. Slash Cracking Rackets. And go get involved with our friends at DraftKings. And we we, uh, appreciate, I should say, in particular, their support of this podcast. But with that being said, for my super producers, Max Fleener and Daniel Westoff, my wonderful co-hosts, Matt Stachowiak, Chris Halioris, our friends at DraftKings, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks? Hey, great shot. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone.